Lord, you are here, and we are here to meet with you. Let us hear your word spoken. Let it enter our hearts, and may we be further empowered to be your people. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Well, I have a surprise for you this morning. We're not going to do the gospel. Ooh, yeah, right. We're going to talk about kings today, the story in 1 Kings. So, have you ever had a situation where you felt like you were doing everything you were supposed to do and that that's where God was leading you and you were, you were on the right track and things were going, well, they were going, but it didn't end up the way you thought it would? Anybody ever been there doing that? Well, if you, can rem- if you can think about that, you will be able to connect with the problem that Elijah's having because his story is a story about a man who had things not work out the way he expected them to. So we want to look at the story. And so in order to understand where we are, We're going to recap part of it from chapter 18. This is like the TV shows where you see, and it tells you that they're going to tell you what happened before so you know what's going on. That's what we're doing. So, at this point in time, the country of Israel is split in two. There was the northern kingdom, and there was the southern kingdom, which was known, the northern kingdom was known as Israel, the southern kingdom is known as Judah. It is also a time when very poor kings have been governing the country. There has been a real lack of spirituality. And all of this is really made extraordinarily um, the scene when Ahab, who is the king of the northern kingdom... Mary's, anybody remember who? Jezebel. Now, Jezebel was a foreign princess, but she did not believe in the God of Israel. She believed in the God of Baal. And she has decided that when she comes back to the kingdom, she is going to convert all the Hebrew people to become Baal worshippers. So Ahab has really brought about one of the most serious declines in the country. Now, in order to accomplish her plan, she has to get rid of a bunch of prophets. So she decides the most expedient way to do that is to kill them all. Well, Obadiah hears about it, and he grabs a hundred of them, and he hides them in two different caves. And and uh, Jezebel doesn't know where they are when she goes about her um, getting rid of these prophets. And so, at this point, Elijah really enters the story. Here is Jezebel wanting them to worship the god of Baal. 
Here is Elijah trying to bring people back to the real true God. So Elijah issues a challenge to the prophets of Baal. And he says, this is what we're going to do. This is going to be a trial by fire to see whose God is the most powerful. And so what he says is, I want you to take a big bull, cut him into pieces, lay him on the prepared wood, and then I want you to call on your god Baal to send fire down to burn him up. So they did all that. They set it up, they cut up the bull, they laid it on the wood, and they began to call on Baal to bring down fire. Well, no fire appears. And they are dancing around the thing and they are beseeching their God and they, and another thing that they did was they would cut themselves. And I mean, this was going on for hours. And Elijah can't, he just can't pass up taunting them a little bit. And he says, um, maybe your God's on vacation. Or napping. You know, so he just like him. But this goes on and on. And so they're obviously a failure. So now Elijah is going to set up his bull, cut into pieces, on the wood, in an old altar space. And around it is a pit. And he pours lots and lots and lots of water in the pit. He kept saying, you know, bring another... Jar, bring some more jars of water. So the whole thing is wet. And he calls on God to send fire. And immediately, the whole thing is burned up. God sends fire. And even every drop of the water is gone. God has acted. So, What does Elijah do? He kills the prophets of Baal. Well, at the end of this happening, this event, Ahab goes back and tells Jezebel, well, Elijah's killed all your prophets. He's proven them to not be very able to call on the power of their God, and he's killed them all. And you can imagine how pleased Jezebel is. I mean, she's going to convert the whole country to Baal. Now her prophets are dead, and the God has been proved to be worthless. So she sends um, um, someone to Elijah and says, I'm going to kill you before the next 24 hours are up. You'll be dead. And what does Elijah do? This great man of God, all of these spectacular things, absolutely panics. And he races away and begins a process to hide himself. So here he goes. Um, he enter- finally, he finally gets to the southern kingdom where Jezebel cannot, um, not rain at all, and he's wa- he's wandered down there, and it says that he sits under a broom tree. 
Now, I know you all know what a broom tree is, right? A broom tree is like, grows in the desert. We do not have them in Florida. And it's like a large um, shrub. They don't grow real tall. In fact, a lot of the pictures that I saw of them when I looked them up were kind of like sitting under a giant mushroom. You know, they, they kind of arch out. And so he's sitting under there feeling sorry for himself. And he goes to sleep. And an angel comes and taps him on the shoulder and brings him bread and water. And he eats it, and he goes back to sleep. So the angel comes again, and he taps him on the shoulder this time, and he says, Elijah, you need to eat this because you're going on a journey, and you won't be able to make the journey unless you have some sustenance. So Elijah eats it. And he begins his journey. And it takes him 40 days and 40 nights to reach Mount Horeb, where he's going um, to go. And 40 is an important number in the Bible. Remember that um, it took Moses 40 days to get the um, law. It was 40 years of slavery in the wilderness, in in Egypt for the people. It took 40 days for Jesus to be in the desert. It rained 40 days and 40 nights. I'm not going to go any further because I read somewhere that there are 146 times that the number 40 is used in the Bible. So I'm going to spare you the other 136. But anyway, 40 is seen by biblical scholars as being like a time of trial, a time of, um, by the way, there's 40 days of Lent. Don't want to forget that. Seen as a time of trial and really looking inward to see um, something about yourself. It's a testing period of time. So, there is Elijah, and he's at, close, he's at Mount Horeb. And God meets him. And God tells Elijah to go up the mountain and wait for him. And God sends wind. And he says it was a wind that was so incredible that it was actually breaking boulders apart. This is not a breeze. This is not even a hurricane. This is a huge, huge wind. But God was not in the wind. And then he sends, um, what does he send next? He sends an earthquake. But God was not in the earthquake. And then he sends fire. Now all this time, Elijah's waiting. What's going to happen? And God is not in the fire. And it becomes very still, very quiet. In fact, Scripture says that Elijah actually puts his mantle over his face. And God speaks to Elijah. And he says, Elijah, what are you doing here? 
And Elijah defends himself. He says, he's been zealous for the Lord. He's done everything the Lord asked him to do. And now he's in serious trouble and he's running away. And it's really what I would call a poor me speech. Now, I know a poor me speech when I hear it because I've used a few in my life. So it's a poor me speech. Okay, poor God, I've done everything I could for you. And look what's happened. Elijah's trying to kill me. Now, for some reason, he seems to think he's the only prophet left. He's forgotten about the hundred that are stored in the caves. But anyway, goes to his poor me speech. And God does not say one word in response to this. Instead, he commissions Elijah to go and anoint kings and a prophet. That prophet that Elijah anoints will be Elisha, who we'll hear more about later. God does not say a word. He doesn't condemn Elijah. He doesn't explain himself. He simply sends Elisha back into ministry. He gives him a job to do, and he sends him out. That went beyond. We would find out that he does do what he is told to do. So, the question I have for you today is what are we supposed to learn from this story? So, it seems Elijah became disappointed in God because he didn't act the way Elijah thought he should act. Anybody felt that way? God did not do what I wanted. And it really is all about me, right? It's all about me. And God saying, no, it's all about God. It's all about God. It's all about what God is. So when he says to Elijah, what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah says, well, actually, Lord, I'm pouting. (laughs) Because things have not worked out well. Ever feel that way? I felt that way just yesterday when I heard about the shooting at the church in Birmingham. And it was like, how much, God, how many of these do we have to endure? What's going on? So, here's another question. What are we doing here today? God is here. We come to worship him, to spend time with him, but to listen to him because he has a plan for our life. He has a plan for this church. He has a plan. He is not worried about the past. He's not going to go back and explain everything to us because, like he did with Elijah, he's leading him into the future leading him into new ministry. God is a God of the future. He promises that things are new when? Every morning, every morning. His grace and mercy abound. But you and I, in the midst of that, when we don't understand, are called to trust. God heals our past so that we can move into the future. 
The world is ever-changing. If they come up with any more inventions that we have to have in our house, we simply don't have room to get it. And there's always something new and better coming out. And this passage reminds us that we too have to be open to the future to see what is happening. What is God's plan for our life here as a community of individual people? And what is our life plan for the future of Good Shepherd? God speaks to the Elijah in the midst of what? Silence. Profound silence. I think that tells me, and perhaps you, that I have to be quiet long enough to hear. That I have to slow down and wait and listen. And I think we're all called in this frenzied age to slow down, to listen to what God wants to do. And I'm going to tell you that when you leave here today, he doesn't say, well, just come back next week and join me then. He sends each of us out to minister in the world. That's why the ending, when the dismissal is done, it's words like go uh, and love one another. Go out and spread the good news. Go and serve the world. In other words, when you leave here, you're entering the mission field. When you leave here, you'll run into people over and over and over again who know nothing about God. But we are called to be in this world as his people. And as we listen and pray, I think we begin to discern where God is leading us individually and corporately. I can't talk to everybody I meet in Publix, but maybe there's one person then I'm called to spend time with. Who knows? As we listen and pray, we begin to discern where we're called to be. And the one thing that happened, Elisha didn't end up brokenhearted. He was sent off on new ministry. God will not leave us brokenhearted. Just as he led Eliza into a future, he will lead us. So, As we pray today, may our hearts be open and may we be in a manner where we can say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Amen.